Morning. Can you guys hear me all right? Okay. Wow, I don't even know <clears throat> where to start. Um, just thinking about Isaiah 58, um, this morning it has been a, a challenge. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but it's easy for me to come into church, and it's easy for me to study scripture just because I want to know more. It's a lot different when I think about this is how I'm supposed to live. And that the true righteousness of God is not fancy knowledge of books, but is a life lived in serving those who are in need. That's truth. <laughs> I mean, I think we could go home right now <laughs> and realize that that is, that is a call that we all face. And, and it's interesting because I think it actually all goes back to what we're going to be talking today in a weird way, in a strange struggle of just looking at why, do we, why is it so hard to actually live out <laughs> that kind of life? Why do we have to be reminded over and over again that it's not just about us? And, and I really think that today, as we get into the book of Colossians, as we continue on in Colossians 1, we're going to begin to see why it's not just about us. And the question that began to come up in my mind is, as we were even, <clears throat> this whole week, as I've been just struggling through this issue and, and the scripture that we're going to be looking at today, the question that I, I began with <clears throat> is really, who's the boss of you? Now, that may sound like a proper, improper statement, but one of the things I learned as a high school teacher, one of the first things, one of the first responses I had to why didn't you turn in your homework assignment is, you're not the boss of me. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that from someone, but that was definitely a response I got. And no, I'm not talking about who's the boss, like the old sitcom, okay? That was my first thought, actually, myself. If that, I know that dates me. Uh, I, I know Tony Danza was quite the, the tough... <laughs> housemaker. Um, I know that makes me um, <laughs> a child of the 80s. Um, and then I started thinking, no, Trevor and Sarah, I'm not talking about Joji, um, <clears throat> who tells you what to do on a regular basis. Um, and Joji, I'm not talking about Jesse. Um, uh, but... <laughs> um, um, <laughs> No, for a moment, I want to, us to think, who, who is the boss of you? Who decides when you're going to get up in the morning, whether or not you're going to go to work, whether or not you're going to do anything at work, um, what your attitude's going to be like, where you're going to spend your money that day? Who is your boss? Who is the boss of you? Now, we all have a lot of different bosses, I think we all know this, okay? And it all depends on what stage of life and, and where you're at in life. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your mortgage payment or your bills. It could be status. It could be your friends. It could be your work. But as most of us in my generation and the young generation knows, most of the time the boss of, of me is me. 
Why is it so hard to live out Isaiah 58? Because I'm looking out for number one. Because I am focused on myself so much. And I think about all these different things. Now we all find ourselves in different places and at different locations. And when I think about what is it that makes someone the boss of you? Just think about it. It's, it's whatever controls your thoughts, your decisions. It's whatever drives you to do what you do. The hours that you spend, the money that you spend, the energy that you take, the way you think, act, and live. Whatever drives you, whatever that is, whatever comes first, guys, that's the boss of you. And we live in a culture that constantly reminds us that you guys should be the boss of yourself. And the thing about today is the hard thing about being a Christian and the reality, the struggle that we have to face today is that is not what scripture says. Scripture says that we are to submit our lives to Christ. And so the struggle becomes, one, is Christ really the boss of you or how do we even make him the boss or why should he be the boss of me? Because I think that's a big internal question. Most of us look at our lives and we say, it's my life, I should be able to decide my direction. I've earned what I've gotten, I've worked for it, I have worked my whole life or I'm working towards it so I should decide where my life goes because it's mine. I think scripture is gonna show us today that Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of creation. He is Lord of redemption. And because Jesus is Lord, he should be the boss of us. But we have to believe that in the depths of who we are if we're ever gonna have a chance to live out that vision of serving those that we've been talking about this morning. So if you guys would just stand with me, I want to read the scripture. Uh, we're going to be beginning in Colossians 1, starting in verse 15, going through verse 23. should be on the screen as I read if you don't have your Bibles. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things on earth, visible and invisible, things in heaven and on earth, or sorry, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, 
established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This section begins with this powerful statement that he is the image of the invisible God. Now, I've been trying to think all week through what this looks like for us today, and one of the first thoughts that I had was just the idea of what a computer icon is. None of us look at code, none of us read code, none of us can understand what goes on with computers, but this icon that we get so familiar with is what gets us and shows us all that those code represents and then allows us to do. He is an image of something invisible. He is something that cannot be seen, that when actually seen, we know what it looks like, we know how to use it. That is part of a picture. Or in science, maybe some of you who are science people, uh, the ideas of atomic models, of looking at the atoms. We can't see protons and electrons and nucleus with our bare eyes, but yet we see these models and we can study them, and we can learn what, how they respond and how they react to different ideas, and really the model explains what is reality but is unseen reality. Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. His life, his person, the story of Christ in the Gospels shows us, one, who God is. And that's the most common idea of the word image, the image of God. But one of the cool things that I was looking at as I studied is that, think about another time in scripture when, when it's talked about something being created in the image of God. I hope many of you in your mind are going back to Genesis when God, in the beginning, says we will create him, man and woman, in our image The cool thing about Christ is not only does he show us what God's life looks like and what God looks like and that we can understand who God is, but he also shows us who we as man can and should look like. When it says he is the image of the invisible God, he is saying this is God lived out in the flesh, come in the flesh, but this is also what man can be. What a powerful way to begin a hymn, and this is a hymn of the early church that sung the praises of who God is and who Christ Jesus is in the face of heresies of people saying that Jesus was not enough. And that gets us to the actual stand, the stance of who Christ is. He is Lord. After just that quick glimpse of saying it is God in the flesh and it is the possibility of what man can be, Paul begins to go through a a list of, of just who Jesus is and what he has done and how he is Lord over all, all of the universe, all of redemption. Now, this idea of Lord, and I've used that word a lot already, and I realized this is not a word we use on a regular basis. Now, for me, being the history teacher that I am, I think of Lord, and I think of the medieval kings with, 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 with crowns and swords and armor and fighting things out. But if that's the image that you think of when you think of Christ as Lord, because that's a common image, you're, 
you're gonna have some underlying tendencies that are probably not good. Those were oppressive men that sought to serve themselves. Those were rulers who used their powers to destroy. And often, truthfully, that is what we think of God. And, and I, I, I think that's where a lot of people begin when they hear that word, Jesus is Lord, they're like, well, that Lord term just catches them off. Now, for some of the rest of us in modern times, we may be more familiar with the Lord of the Rings. And we think of the ring of power that is the one ring to rule them all and this all-powerful, all-controlling power that would come, okay, to one person who would then be able to rule. And we, we have these imageries of darkness so much because if you think about the Lord of the Rings, that ring it, it overtakes you, overpowers you, destroys you really truthfully. And so we have this, this image of Jesus as Lord and, and what Paul is going to say is that this is much different than you've ever imagined. This is much different than what, what that connotation means. But guys, believe this, that without understanding that Jesus is Lord, your life you will always be living on your own. You will always be the boss of who you are unless if you see how high and exalted Christ Jesus is as Lord. And so let's, look, let's take a moment and look back to verses 15. I just wanna read it again. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So right after he says this is who God is, he says he is the firstborn over all creation. Now, that imagery of firstborn, again, is not he is a part of creation, but is more in title, like as inheritance, saying that he is preeminent, he is first, he is before, he is ruler over. If you guys know how the birthright in ancient Hebrew or any ancient culture would go, the oldest son would be given everything, okay? So this is the son of God, and he is over everything. He is over creation. He's not in creation, he is over all of creation, Continuing on in verse 16, it says this, for by him all things on earth, or all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. All things were created by him and for him. And when I think of creation, I, I get the picture of a sunrise and I want you guys to just Think about the beautiful sunrises we see here in the mountains. When you think about just the mist that rises when the sun comes and you see the dew and, and the reflections of the sun. When you think about, I love this season, the way the trees respond to that sunlight. And in their time, they begin to change color and that color just lights up and there are so many different hues and colors that come out. When you think of all the animals that live off the water that falls, even this last week as rain has been gray and, and, and just kind of made us forget that the sun shines sometimes, how necessary that water is for the whole system to continue to work. When you think about the complexity of creation and you think that as the sun rises here that it sets somewhere else, we think about all the stars that we see and we can see over and over again and we think about the universe in itself and where things are and you think all of this. He has created all things. He is the firstborn. And in the NIV, they translate a couple different words interesting. They say by him, by him, and for him, all things are created. 
The true Greek in that begin to, to give an idea more of, of three different aspects about how he created. The first one is in his mind. He designed, he came up, he designed the complexity of this world in his thoughts, in his creativity. He is what has created and sculpted every one of these breathtaking scenes that we see in the sunrises and sunsets, in the snowfalls and in the rains, in the storms, in the winter and in the, in the summer. He designed all of that working together in his own mind. But then it says through him is actually the second one. Through him all things were made. So it was through his power, through his hands, through his actual works that Christ Jesus created all that we see. All the beauty of this creation. And and, and just think about it. I, I think just in our own human bodies, the complexity that we see, the way muscles work together, the way our minds works, all the different things of how, how much our eyes take in in just glancing around or our minds can remember. If you can imagine the amount of song lyrics and computer programs that you guys know how to function without even thinking. It's amazing what we can do. And all this not only was designed in his mind, was created through his hands, his power, his ability. And then finally, it says it was created for him, for his glory. Now, that idea that you personally, you individually were created for his glory is hard for me to understand how that works. But as I was reading and studying this week, I, I, I came across this illustration that helped me greatly. Now, I am a Renaissance art nerd. Anyone who had me in world history would know that. I don't think there's anyone here today, maybe one. Uh, but I love the Renaissance. And I spent time, I went to Italy, and I got to see probably one of my, the most famous statues ever. And it was Michelangelo's David. Now, this, the, the story goes that this was a huge block. And when you see this, it's overwhelming because he is, I can't remember how tall he is exactly. I think it's eight and a half or nine feet tall. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he is huge. And you're just like, wow, how in the world did you carve that out of marble? Like, it is amazing to me. And you just, you just wonder, how did he do this? And the, the story goes that that was a block of marble for years in a studio, sitting there because no one wanted to touch it. They were afraid of it. But then Michelangelo came along, and in his mind, he saw, I mean, and I, I don't know how they do this, I don't know how artists do this, but when they look at a big block and they can see something in it, you ever heard someone say that, or, or, or musicians who just hear the music in their heads, I don't know how that works, and I even play music and draw, and I still don't know how that works. But in his mind, he saw this youthful stance of the young David, okay, he saw it, he created it. He designed, oh, this is, the, this is the physique. This is how he'll stand. This is what it will be about. And then, with his skillful hands, he spent months and years and hours carving that from a block of marble into this image. But we don't go and just praise this block of marble. We don't just say, wow, David, wow, look at how you made yourself. Because we know it's an inanimate object. But what we do is we go, wow, how did Michelangelo do that? We praise the artist for the work that was designed in his head, that was created by his hands, because that was really, yes, what was maybe paid for by someone. It was to bring really glory to the, to the human ability to create. 
which is part of the image of God. We are part of that image, just as Christ was. And so even in that artwork, even in those things, we bring glory back to God through what we have made. Just as much as when God, when Christ Jesus created the earth, he created the earth that he might receive glory. He created us that we might receive glory. And he just didn't do that in the past. I love what verse 17 continues on and says. It says, he is before all things, but in him and in him all things hold together. He is before, he was before. Again, reminding that he is the firstborn of all creation, that he is above and beyond, he is priority. But in him all things hold together. He did not create this world and then say, I'm done, I have nothing to do with this. He created this world and says, I will sustain you. I will sustain all the order that needs to have for it to operate the way that I designed it. Christ is Lord of all creation. But we (laughs) sinned. But we sinned. The creation that was created to be in the image of God, to live out the fulfillment and walk in this creation and relationship with God closely, we sinned. But God just didn't say, like many artists do when they mess up in a creation and just destroy it and walk away and start again. From the very beginning, he said, I will redeem my creation So Jesus is not only the Lord of creation, he did not only create through his own power and strength, he is also Lord of redemption. God said, I'm gonna make him Lord over the first creation, I'm gonna make him Lord over the new creation because I am going to have him be Lord over the way that people will get back to me. Lord of redemption. If you look in verse 18, and just pick up with me in verse 18, it says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus did not just leave our sin out there. God chose to reconcile us through the cross. Christ came and lived in flesh so that he might die and be resurrected again. And at that resurrection, there was a beginning of a new era of redemption. It says he is the beginning, the firstborn among the dead, that he might be supreme, the supreme in everything. Again, saying that He is the image of the invisible God, but he is also supreme and ruler over all redemption. I think one of the hardest things that I struggle with in my Christian faith is I think because I do good things, I earn my salvation. Let me tell you that it has nothing to do with your good works. Being a Christian is not about having it all together. It is about Christ, 
(laughs) and him crucified, resurrected, and reigning as Lord. If that is not true, there's nothing that we could do to restore, to be reconciled, to be brought back. That means to be returned to our original place, to be brought back in relationship with God. Christ, through his crucifixion, began a new age, which is called the church. And he is the head of the church, and basically the church. And this is one of the strong images we have to get out of our mind, is not that the church is a building that we come to. Guys, just because we come to this building does not make all of us the church. The church is where Jesus Christ is Lord. That means where people are doing what his will asks them to do. The church is the body that is controlled by the head. Okay? Where the thoughts of the head, the desires of the head, the will of the head is then lived out in action through the limbs of the body. This is imagery that he's trying to cast to say Christ began something. It was a new age of redemption, of of people being restored to God that they may know him completely by seeing Christ and then living out the Christ life in their lives, what he called the church. He continues on in verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. This is exactly what I was talking about just a moment ago. Okay, it was not that we were just our evil behavior, but it starts in our minds, guys. Before we knew Christ, before we claim Christ as Lord, we are alienated. It means indefinitely separated from God. It means absolutely on the other side of a chasm, you cannot get there. That is where we stand before we proclaim that Christ is Lord, once we were alienated from God in our minds. Now, it displayed itself in our actions, in our evil behaviors, but you will not change your evil actions without first confessing that Jesus is Lord. There is no way. (laughs) Just beginning to change the outside It's not going to change the matter of the heart and where you stand before the Lord. It says in 22, but now you have been reconciled. Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This This is where it comes down to it. If you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that, if you live that, if you understand that, we now stand as the new creation, as the creation before sin, before fall. We have been presented by Christ's blood to God as holy, without accusation, or free from accusation, without blemish. This is the stance where we are now, But it all starts back from the beginning. Who's the boss of you? Guys, I'm telling you, if you are the boss of you, if you're the one that's making the decisions that lead your life down certain directions, if you say it's my life and I will live it my way, 
If your money, if your status, if your position, if your job, if your family, if anyone else is telling you this is what you do and this is how you live and this is what is going to drive your life, if those things are driving you, Jesus is not Lord. If Jesus is not Lord in our lives, we are not reconciled to God. There's no in-between We cannot cross that chasm ourselves. We must confess that Jesus is Lord. But what we've been talking about this whole series is that at the moment, at the time we confess that Jesus is Lord, then we have responded to that gospel, that gospel that says that Jesus is, was, was human, became human, died for our sins, was resurrected, is raised again. That is the gospel that we've been talking about, that he at that moment when we proclaim that he is Lord of all, we have been taken out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves. Our position changes at that moment. In those times, and yes, we'll, at that moment, will we feel perfect? Will we have ever figured out, everything figured out? No. We will still stumble, we will still fall, we will still struggle with sin because that is life. But the status of the gospel, when we think about it, it is the hope of the gospel and we must believe that at those moments when we begin to submit to Christ as Lord of all creation, as Lord of redemption, as the only hope for our salvation, that in those moments we will we will be found as holy in God's sight. There are a lot of different implications about what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord. And truthfully, I could not begin to cover all the different topics that we could discuss in this one sermon. But let me just break it down very simply. For Christ to be Lord, it must mean that your life, your whole life, must be submitted to him. As I thought about the idea of the image of the invisible God, and if we want to know what it is to see what God looked like in the flesh, living our life, or living life, and then if I thought about, this is also Jesus' image of the invisible God, and our desire to to know what it looks like to live our life the way God would have us, I started thinking there's a lot of implications to this. The first is, guys, we've got to know what Jesus did, who he was. And we have to decide in our minds whether or not we believe he is Lord. And that is the very first thing. And there may be a lot of you here who are saying, I don't know if I've ever really saw him as being Lord over all my life. Let me tell you, until you make that decision, The rest of what we talk here, the rest of what we heard about going out in Isaiah 58 and serving and and laying your life down and seeing justice shine forth and, and to serving the poor, the rest of that will not make sense until you've made up in your mind, is Jesus Lord of my life? That's something that I encourage you guys today. If there's anyone out here who has not confessed that Jesus is Lord, that you would come talk to me or Joji or David Montgomery or Matt or anyone else that you see, David Sweet, um, 
Come talk to us so that we can talk, what does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? Because that's where it all begins. For all of those of us who have said, I have confessed that Jesus is Lord, the truth of the matter is that I realize more and more in my life, and in this week, I have seen over and over, as I've stuck my foot in my mouth, as I have hurt people that I've loved, that I have not taken the opportunities to go and serve the hungry and to help those who are in need. As I see that, I realize more and more in my life that not all of my life is submitted, is bowed to Jesus as Lord. And I'll be honest, I know I can't do it on my own. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I, I appreciate times of confession like we had this morning in prayer to just come before the Lord and say, Jesus, I don't know even how to make you Lord of areas I don't even recognize that I have just absolute selfishness. And so for all of us, even if we've come to that point of saying, I confess, Jesus, you are Lord, I seem to think that there are probably areas that we have not submitted completely. There may be jobs that you have that you know you shouldn't. There may be relationships you may be in that you know are not godly. There may be just your own selfish pride and laziness that tells you I can sit and watch TV and watch movies and do nothing all day knowing that there's people that need help. Maybe my mom or my dad, maybe my friends. There may be areas where you just say I'm so busy with work and I've just gotta spend so much time with work that my family gets lost in the mix. It may be that my girlfriend, well, she's doing something, but she didn't really tell me to come, and I really don't want to honor her that much, so I'm not going to. Guys, Christ has called us, if we submit to him, that we consider others better than ourselves, that we love in the way that Joji spoke of earlier from Isaiah 58 that says that we will go out to serve those around us. So for all of us who have said, okay, you are Lord. I really challenge you to go home and look at your life and say, am I really submitting my life to Jesus as Lord? Am I waking, am I sleeping in the way that I spend my money, I use my time? That's what, that what we have. That's what scripture demands. That's what it means when we say Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord, that our whole lives would be submitted to him. Will you bow with me in prayer?